Maybe I could be like an announcer, like a columnist. I don't believe what I just saw. You know how I always make those interesting comments during the game? Personally, I think we got holes on that call. Yeah, yeah, you make good comments. So what about that? Well, you know, they tend to give those jobs to ex-ball players and people that are, you know, in broadcast. What about a talk show host? This is In the Booth. Talk show host, that's good. <laughs> I think I'd be good at that. I talk to people all the time. With Matt Park. On a rainy day, what else is there to do? Sit around and talk sports. We're going to do that with you here today in the booth up until 3 o'clock this afternoon. One more show this week, and that's tomorrow. Talking football, lots going on. Certainly Clemson stirring the pot quite a bit with a quarterback change. And thought we'd see both of those quarterbacks after Trevor Lawrence was named as the starter this week. Just assumed that uh, Kelly Bryant would hang around and that both would be used in this game this weekend. Kelly Bryant is piecing out. He's played four games. This year will not count against him. So he's going to transfer, and that creates an unusual situation down there. We'll touch base with Adam Terry, our IMG Sports Network analyst, on that coming up, we'll talk Clemson with their play-by-play announcer, Don Munson, on the show tomorrow. It was one-hit wonder day yesterday, so today two hit wonders. I'm <laughs> actually looking at what the actual days are today. Oh, yeah, and, well, who, is and, there a whole calendar? Because I yeah. never hear about them until the actual day. Today is something that everybody in this office should... Uh, National Situational Awareness Day would be good for the, yeah. for the staff to be aware of your surroundings. Yeah. What kind of what is that? Like what kind of day is that? Is that a color? Or how do you celebrate that? Or what? National Shamu the Whale Day. This Love is stupid. Shamu. National Pancake Day. Get out of here. National Johnny Appleseed Day. National Dumpling Day. Are these are all today. You're saying National Women's. So Health who decides day. when? I guess these organizations decide this is going to be our day. There's nobody who's the overlord of the calendar and makes for only 365. Yeah. National days, right? And if you know a compliance officer, give him a big hug because it's National Compliance Officer Day. That's brutal. So, although your compliance people in every office and every line of work, that's a tough job. They're the ones that sort of police internally. Nobody really wants to see them coming. Fun people. The, yeah, rule followers. And it is a tough spot, I will admit. Yesterday we did one hit wonder. We kind of got talking about it. I'm thinking like in the sports context, from a analytics perspective, there's probably some explanation for how you get that second hit in terms of sales and radio play that's irrespective of talent, right? So if somebody really makes it big once, you're going to give them a shot on a second Tone two. would be Funky Cole Medina. And what else? Like I can name the first uh, one. Yeah. Wild Thing. Wild Thing. And uh-huh. Funky Cole Medina. Rick Ashley did Never Gonna Give You Up. Know that one, and yeah. For, uh, Together Forever. Okay, those those are basically the same song, right? Yeah, this is. <laughs> yeah, that's together forever. <laughs> I was gonna say, this is never gonna give you up. Yeah. It's the exact same song. So he went right back to that bank. You no, know, you know a good one would be Terrence Trent Darby. Sign and uh, wishing well would be it. Okay. Be those good are good. One. The two hit. If you have three hits, are you just a wonder? I mean, how many do you really have to have before you're... I think two is basically going to top it off. No, what I'm saying is once you've had more than two, like, you know, two of anything's kind of, you know, it could be kind of a coincidence. After that, it's a pattern. I mean, you did something Like you could do it with baseball players. Like Kevin Moss was a one-hit wonder. Right. Uh, Shane Spencer. 
would be the second coming of Kevin Moss. Yeah, then you'd have maybe a Brady Anderson would be a two-hit wonder. Well, he was a juicer. Yeah. <laughs> that was really much <laughs> Or a Giles brother would be two-hit wonders. Uh-huh. And then from there you become stars. The Boons. The Boons. Would they be- well, Brett Boone, also a juicer. On that uh, Seattle team that won a gazillion games. Greg Vaughn, two-hit wonder. Yeah. Mo Vaughn, perennial all-star. Yes. Why am I drawing a blank on 98 Yankees third baseman? Scott Brocious. Scott Brocious, yeah. Is that a one-hit or a two-hit? He was a pretty good player. Really? I think. I mean, it's pretty. I think he was just below all-star status. I bet if you look it up just blindly, I'm going to say he was a two-time all-star. Uh, that, that's one, a... One or two. I'm going to look it up, but I can beat you to it. Um, this is scintillating radio. I'm sure people driving around the road are, hey, how many times was... Scott Brocious, an all-star. Um, Chase Headley was a one-hit wonder. He should have been a better player. He was a pretty good hitter. Still is. I mean, it's not like he's dead or he's still in the league. No, he isn't. He's not? No, the Padres. He play anywhere he, this year? He bat, yeah, the Padres you get cut by back, the Padres. <laughs> and he batted like wanna, 197. And they, you might want to reevaluate where you are. Scott Brocious, 10-year career, one-time all-star. All right, that's about, thought maybe two. Only in 98. Hit 300. I mean, the year, two years prior, hit 304 with 22 home runs, 71 RBIs, and 96. 98, he had a good year. <laughs> I've sent you did, down a did not, ball. Yeah, did not really uh, back it up from there. Now He's now a uh, coach in the major leagues. Um, but, yeah, I think the two hit, I, I'm, I'm curious about the how, how anybody backed it up to just enough of a level. I don't know what the definition is. We're talking about hit. Like none of these songs are not, they're not necessarily number one songs, but big enough. You know, yeah, went platinum or I'd whatever. Say top were 40. catchy. Yeah, yeah, top forty. Okay, if that's what your definition of it is, then good. Okay, we'll we'll keep an eye out on that. Ace um, of base maybe was a two hit one. I saw the sign. What else? Uh, don't turn around. Was there? <laughs> how many I of really them? They want you. Life. Yeah, I was gonna say you need to do the research on how many of the second hits were basically a repackaging of the first, <laughs> because it sounds like uh, that was a pretty common play. But on the show today, we'll talk with uh, Adam Terry about uh, how the other twenty-one players react when a quarterback change is made. This is not just a quarterback change at Clemson, but a grad student who had been a part-time starter for them in recent years to a freshman and a talented freshman, a guy who looks like sunshine from remember the Titans and a guy who can sling the rock, but a freshman who's not played that much and really hasn't. Yeah. He's put up pretty good numbers. Clemson's got great players all over the field. uh, So it's hard to tie their success to any one player, but we'll see what uh, Trevor Lawrence has in store. They're starting him at home. You heard on the previous show, some of the thoughts of Devil Sweeney and how he's gone about it. Sweeney maybe in some cases is getting blame. I think for the most part he's getting credit for, look, by making this change four games in, he's keeping the kids' options open. And uh, with the new four-game redshirt rule, this is kind of an unattended consequence, and it's one that's going to benefit a school right now that doesn't have a quarterback for next season. They're going to get Trevor Lawrence. And remains to be seen how big a school will do it, and will they take somebody on a, a one-shot deal? Will he have to step down and go to, you know, Appalachian State or Furman or something like that? But I bet he pops up at a uh, 
a major southern school. I believe he could go in the ACC as a grad student so he wouldn't have to sit out the year. Um, so I bet he pops up at an ACC or SEC school next year as their quarterback. This puts a controversy into perspective for us from earlier in the week when you said Dabo Sweeney would not do the phone interview with you for the first time. Guessing this is why. The QB change. Uh, good call. Good call. Um, yeah, because he announced it on Monday morning. Maybe he didn't yeah. want to get into it and knew at that point. And by the way, he didn't wake up Monday and decide that uh, he was making the quarterback change that. I mean, this had to have been on their radar for as far back as the summer. They knew this. Uh, Trevor Lawrence was, if not the top recruit in the country, he was right there. So they knew he was capable of coming in and playing right away. They could see this maybe coming down the road. Now, Clemson's a national title contender. I think in the case of Kelly Bryant, it's got to be, gee, could I hang on for the ride here and be ready in case the freshman gets hurt or uh, comes up short and maybe there's another opportunity to go right in. Now, their third-string quarterback's another really highly touted recruit. He actually redshirted last year. And uh, as a, a redshirt freshman, Chase Bryce, he's a guy that yeah, obviously they're also very comfortable with. It's a, an embarrassment of riches with the, the talent there. How good is he feeling? Well, he's got the same eligibility. Now you're anointing this guy as the starter now as a true freshman, and maybe he winds up being a three-plus-year uh, starter at Clemson. Talk with Dino Babers this morning, as we often do on Wednesday. You can see the uh, video portion of that at Cuse.com, what we call the uh, Cuse Insider. But we asked him about how you go about doing this. Coaches will be the first to tell you, oh, we're going to got to prepare for both quarterbacks. I think certainly up until this morning, Dino, like the rest of us, was expecting to see both of those quarterbacks in the game. And now we know Kelly Bryant will not be on the team come the weekend. Now now we've, we've got to focus totally on Trevor. I mean, you're talking about a very talented 6'6", 215 freshman uh, from the state of Georgia. You watch him on tape, he is outstanding. I mean, all, when his body fills out, you're looking at a guy that's probably going to be first or second in the NFL draft. And I'm talking about in three years. I'm not talking about in four. So he really, really is as talented as everyone thinks he is. Uh, the move with Kelly is a little surprising, but, you know, we all wish him the best. But uh, Trevor Lawrence is a really, really good player. Well, uh, Lawrence obviously capable to step in and – that Syracuse pass rush will be tested. If they're as effective as they have been, though, they could uh, make life a little difficult for uh, this particular uh, freshman. Is it Don? Dom. Dom. Hello, Dom. You're on the show. Welcome. Hey, guys. Quick question on this uh, uh, redshirt rule. Maybe you can offer some clarity to me. So if I'm understanding this right, a fourth-year senior that doesn't play – his fifth game of the season is open to transfer uh, to any school he wants, right? Is, is that my No, uh, I wouldn't say that about it. A... Go ahead. Because I, I guess what I'm thinking is, I mean, are we going to start seeing a rash of, you know, fourth-year seniors that right around game four all of a sudden decide, you know what, I'm not getting playing time or I'm not getting adequate playing time. It's time for me to transfer. So you're going to see a, I mean, is this going to become a thing? We, I mean, it's the first year now. Yeah. You know, kind, well, of, kind of the college way, college uh, 
the college version of renting a player. Correct. Now, here's here's how I understand it. I know there's been talk about allowing immediate transfers. That doesn't – That's you're not yet eligible to do that unless you've graduated. So in the case of Kelly Bryant, he has graduated. You will see him on another team next year. Uh, that's why I don't see it – that's one of the reasons I don't see a, being a rash of people in your category that you're talking about because they would still have to go sit and then play another year – Plus, you have so much invested in your previous school, you better ride it out. If you're not playing at your school by a senior, then you're you know yeah. you're probably not good enough to be to be there. You're gonna well, step down, and you're not going pro. I, well, no, I, I guess what I'm saying is, uh, you know, if you have pick your top level school, LSU, Alabama, Clemson, you know, your tier one schools that recruit five star guys year after year. If you see that you're on the verge of getting buried on the depth chart, I mean, we could see a guy go from Clemson to Illinois, you know, yes. or from. Well, you, you wouldn't know, have to change his a, colors then. Which would be that? you wouldn't have to change your colors if you went from Clemson to Illinois or Syracuse <laughs> to Illinois. So that would be convenient. No, I, that's absolutely the fear. This idea of empowering the student athletes, Dom. You know, there's a lot of upsides to that, and one of the fears certainly of the coaches, college basketball, they're talking about this, complete free-for-all. Already you have annually now hundreds. It used to be just a few. It's now hundreds of players that transfer from one school to the next. The best example here is the, uh, you know, the guy who goes Ivy League, gets developed, turns out to be a better player than he thought. He's got one-year eligibility left, and he goes from Penn to Louisville. <laughs> You know, and the bigger power programs get the benefit from a player that they didn't originally recruit and, and all of that. There's all kinds of twists and turns. The one thing I'm here to tell you is that the redshirt rule, it was not intended for this. And right, but college I, basketball has been a bit of a free-for-all for a while now. Yeah. I mean, uh, with the one-and-dones, um, I mean, it, it, it's been kind of a rotational circus uh, for a bunch of years now. Not to say that this rule makes it any better, but... Um, there hasn't been much, I don't want to call it loyalty, but there hasn't been, I guess, another word for it, loyalty. Um, you know, kids are willing to bounce around in college, I guess, is what. what yeah, uh, I just think the. I think your modern athlete does not play for the front of the jersey to the degree that you're maybe remembering, Dom. And they don't kind of go like, oh, it's my lifelong dream to win for state U. It's their lifelong dream to make the league and to make millions. Uh, that's what I think you're kind of seeing here. Um, and for the schools, it's tough, but it's a trade-off of the the trend, I think, is when you talk about paying student-athletes or whatever, is to make their options more like every student. So if you went at random and identified somebody on the campus at Syracuse or LeMoyne or Ithaca or Cornell around here, if they wanted to go to a different school next year, you know, your basic architecture student, they could do that. There's nothing stopping them. So I think the trend is to get away from treating athletes any differently, and that's what is in place right now uh, with these athletes. And I, I can guarantee you they, they didn't anticipate this. I heard uh, Bobby Petrino this morning on the ACC conference call saying, you know, this is an unintended consequence. We never really considered that veteran players were going to depart to other schools just because they were unhappy with their playing time, their their spot on the depth chart. All right. Well, uh, it, it's actually you, know, you bring up a good point about not you know rather than paying them, giving them options to uh, 
further their careers and, and become free agents. So I, I actually kind of like that trade off from, you know, if we're not going to pay them, <laughs> giving them the ability to craft their own careers is, is, is pretty solid. All right. Thanks, guys. You bet, Don. Thank you for the call. A guy with two years playing time at Clemson at quarterback isn't going to happen every year either, right? You know, it's. It's not going to be this level of talent that is oh, that's uh, available. That's available yeah. in this. Situation. Yeah, but he he's going to transfer to a lesser program, and it's going to help that program. You know, let, I'm trying to think, and it might not be that far down. I mean, he could go to NC State. I think. Yeah. Well, Finley might even Finley will get drafted. But he can go to NC State. He can go to Carolina. He can go to you know Wake Forest, something <laughs> like that. Let's take the ACC out of it because I know there's some some complications involved in that. Although I think as a grad transfer. You can just go. But let's say he goes to Cal. Uh, well, Vanderbilt, Tennessee, yeah. something like that. Keeping him in the South, he's a Georgia guy. Um, that program's going to benefit if the football's different. If they're willing to take him on for one year, football's unique in the amount of time it takes to get into a system and get integrated. You're seeing Eric Dungey operate at peak efficiency now. He's in his third and fourth year in this uh, system, and, and we've seen players benefit from that. College basketball, I think it's easier to just pluck a guy. You know, Elijah Hughes, when he takes the floor after sitting out here for a year and then practicing for – he could have played last year and fit right in, and obviously he will fit right in uh, this year. But football's a little bit different to get up to speed. So how are coaches willing to uh, take a guy for one year? Where is it relative to their recruiting? What they're going to do is use it to plug a gap in recruiting, if they somehow found themselves based on injury, deflection, uh, attrition, lack of development, that they could use a one guy. Talk about your one-hit wonder. They could use a guy for one year at quarterback. They might look to uh, Trevor Lawrence. I'm sure he'll have plenty of suitors. All right, when we come back, Adam Terry, a little late to uh, get into him, so we will uh, visit with Adam, his thoughts on how teams react to a change like this. We'll get to that when we roll on. Brought to you by Marriott Syracuse Downtown. This is In the Booth on ESPN Radio. like walk-up music a day after one hit wonder day by special request we bring on adam terry to his uh mantra this is his ringtone too hello adam several years it was my ringtone yeah that's a, that's a big one for you i can see you rocking out to that <laughs> <laughs> hear it occasionally it's still stadium rock isn't it it's pretty pretty much a regular it's on repeat at most stadiums yeah, it, it's an interesting story. It's um, they played it for many, many moons. I think they just retired it last week in the Carrier Dome. But uh, <laughs> you know, they they would get it going. And I remember the era of when I played. It was Andre Fontenet's dad, and you know, a couple other fathers. You know, they would just get cranked up. And uh, when Who Let the Dogs Out came on, you know, it was uh, the party was rocking in the stands at that point in time it was lit in modern parlance it was lit turnt. it was turned and lit <laughs> do you notice stuff like that when you're playing do you notice that who let the dogs out is play is uh, is playing in the stadium when you're actually in a game no i i only know it because my parents bought an auto the orange that sang who let the dogs out and you know they had to give me the whole backstory on it so uh my 
my pets were afraid of it when my parents bought it and they continually played it. So none, none of my, none of the pets ran away uh, after I left. So it all turned out okay. I'll bet there's one song though, Adam, that you do remember uh, being an anthem from <laughs> ah, within your division as a uh, Ravens player for many years and traveling into Pittsburgh. Yeah, I mean, Renegade by Sticks is, is, you know, you go, you go in, we played them on a, a Halloween Monday night game, and I thought it was an earthquake because they actually, the whole field would shake, you know, when it starts off and then the bass comes in, you know. Paul's nervous, he thinks he's going to get fined. coming down the gallows, and you'd hear that boom, 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 you know, yeah. people slapping on the bleachers. It, it was probably one of the coolest coolest songs and uh great environment that you could go to all right adam terry our guests we're on espn radio in syracuse and utica good to have you along for the ride today in the booth and adam the news of the week is a quarterback change at clemson starting quarterback change and the news (laughs) of the day is that the veteran who's now been pushed aside in favor of a true freshman highly recruited new starter is splitsville he is uh transferring so the Kelly Bryant era at Clemson over a lot of things to parse through here, but uh, you've been in these locker rooms. You've been on the offensive line in front of a quarterback. How much does it rock the other 21 players on the team or the other 90 players on the team when a change is made at that position? Yeah. First of all, it's, it's how awesome is this for Syracuse right now? They just get to dial in Brian Ward and the guys get to dial in on one quarterback. They don't have to look at, uh, multiplicity in the backfield. You know, if you're looking at the two, uh, Lawrence can run the ball. Yes, he's he's good at that. But Kelly Bryant is number two in touches and carries for Clemson right now with 30 behind uh, Travis Etienne uh, with 46. So he was a dynamic player that could get the ball into different situations. It, and it's going to rock the locker room. I've been in a situation where I was in Baltimore they just drafted Flacco in the first round. Year prior, they had um, picked up uh, Troy Smith, the Heisman winner from Ohio State, and then we had Kyle Bowler, who was a first-round pick. So, you know, it kind of worked its way into a situation where uh, Joe ended up being the starting quarterback. But at the beginning of the season, we started. We, we thought it would be Kyle. He broke his collarbone. Troy um, got very, very sick, some, some type of uh, – uh, I don't infection, maybe staff infection or something, but he was very, very sick and he got ousted just because of he wasn't able to come out on the field. And then Joe came in, won the hearts and the minds of the people in Baltimore, and you know, specifically a few instances, you're out on the field and that place is rocking, chanting his name. For us as an offensive line, it was a really cool moment. But we also knew we had to go in and protect. You had to change some things that a veteran quarterback could do. He, you know, having a young quarterback in, he might not be able to see a blitz, might not be able to put us in the right protection. So those are those are interesting things going into, you know, two dominant pass rushers in Alton Robinson in Kendall Coleman. Yes, you have the luxury of having a Mitch Hyatt, a, a, you know, he'll be an all should be an All American this year for him. But you've changed up the offense, not a whole lot, but enough that uh, guys might start to question, hey, I'm going to be in pass protection a little bit more than we had the opportunity to be aggressive uh, 
with Bryant and get down, get, you know, run the ball a little bit more with the, with the quarterback in that action. So it's really interesting to, to see that dynamic. And then the personal dynamics in the locker room, how many guys, he's a senior leader. He was, you know, named the MVP of the ACC championship last year when they beat, you know, uh, going in uh, the relationships he's built with the veteran guys on defense, how he can spark that. That's something that nobody's going to talk about. And then offensively, you know, he's, he's been the rock behind there. And we also have seen what it is when one starting quarterback gets knocked out. We saw that last year with Kelly Bryant when he went down and you had the opportunity to have two very good quarterbacks on your team. Now, let's look at the situation that Dabo Sweeney's created. You know, Dabo says he's disappointed that Kelly Bryant left in, in one of his press conferences. But the reality is, and I'm not 100% on it, I looked a little bit, but it seems like Kelly Bryant can go anywhere in the country right yeah. now. And I wasn't 100% sure if this was part of the, the redshirt rule. No, it's because he's a grad transfer. My understanding is he, so he's, he's he, a grad transfer. He can go right away. Okay. Right, even in the ACC is my understanding. Well, a couple of ACC teams might be very interested. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I saw it be thrown around with like Arkansas and Florida and you know some SEC schools, but um, that's the one thing that I couldn't track down. So you, you're looking at it, and you've got a head coach that says he's a little disappointed. Hey, you know, the writing was on the wall, wasn't it? I would think so. I mean, it doesn't. The, the one thing that to me is a little surprising, but it's again, it's a function of the four games. I'm sure he didn't. He didn't necessarily jump to the conclusion. Well, okay, Trevor Lawrence is going to be the starter the rest of the game. There's no nothing for me here because he has to know he's still a play away. Uh, maybe it doesn't work out for Lawrence, and you know he's not ready as a freshman to lead a championship caliber team. Bryant's there. Maybe he's along just for the ride to win the championship. But if he plays in one more game then he's locked in. And so he didn't practice Monday or Tuesday, and I'm sure part of that is, is first of all, the shock of it. Second is working through the idea of, well, at that point he pretty much had no role in this game Saturday as it relates to the Syracuse-Clemson matchup because a guy like that wouldn't want to go in a game unless he knew it was going to lead to more playing time. In other words, if he's just going to be a mop-up guy or a – you know, the quarterback's helmet came off guy, <laughs> you know, what good does yeah. that do him? He wants to go play. And uh, the only way now he's going to, now he's forced his hand, but if he, the only way he's going to play is to transfer. Yeah, it, it just overall a tough situation. And I think, you know, for Kelly Bryant, hopefully it's one that he can go and go play right away. And then you look at the other perspective of it, it's, you know, you're rolling with a guy who's a little bit unproven. Nobody's given a full game plan to a true freshman. Yes, he's very, you know, he's he's their gem of the recruiting. He's the number one quarterback in the country last year uh, uh, to most recruiting prognosticators. You're, you're looking at a situation where he's unproven. And it, this, is, this is the greatest thing in central New York to occur right now. <laughs> yes, he could go light it up. I mean, his first class pass the game down to uh, Higgins, the wide receiver. It was a jump ball. Higgins does a lot to score on the first play, his first throw, his first touchdown. Fantastic. Well, now what happens when there's – you're not just packaging 
five to 15 plays for a guy. You've got to go through 60 plays with multiple checks, um, different formations, different window dressings as far as movements to uncover things. And, you know, it's a great opportunity for Syracuse right now uh, with a very, with a good, a very good team, but unproven to go down into Death Valley. And who's to say that if Trevor Lawrence doesn't go out there like Fitzmagic the other day and start throwing some picks, how does that turn the tide down in Clemson very quickly? Adam Terry is our guest. Uh, I'm encouraged, uh, Adam, by how excited you are in terms of taking this as good news for Syracuse. And so Brian Ward, when he gets this news, has to be thinking, what can I create that it will be the first time Trevor Lawrence has seen it, right? Is it as simple as that? Because a guy who's played four games and has had you know, spring practice to now, he's only been exposed to that much, which is not nothing, but it's not a, what a three-, four-, five-year player is going to have seen. Yeah, I, we used to have a D-line coach, Jerry Azanero, who went out with uh, – he's now with Chip Kelly at UCLA. But Jerry Azanero used to bring those D-linemen in, in the meeting before the game and just talk boxing. You know, these are, these are things where we might be able to give some jabs to, to the new quarterback in Lawrence and do some different things, but it's the body blows. He hasn't played a whole game where he's been – hit or he's fumbled the ball and his face mask gets mashed into the ground or somebody steps on his foot, somebody steps on his hand. You know, these are the, these are the little things that add up to the body blows of, you know, now Kendall Coleman puts his face mask into his sternum and all, all, all legal brings him to the ground or Alton Robinson comes behind and hooks the arm and swaps the ball out for a forced fumble. These are things that you've got a young quarterback who's a very, very talented guy. But now it lays into, is he psychologically prepared to get hit and get hit often, which the hitting is what forced Kelly Bryant out of the game last year. Yes, it was an ankle, but there's a certain point where you have to say no moth and throw up the white flag. That's what I find interesting about it. Last year's game was easier for Syracuse to win when the starting quarterback was knocked out of the game. Well, he was knocked out of the game this week on Monday morning by a coaching change uh, by Davos Sweeney. Now, putting your backup in on Monday morning is a lot different than putting him in in the second quarter in terms of uh, how you move on from it. And it looks like that's what they've uh, attempted to do here in a lot of ways by uh, giving Trevor Lawrence the keys. He's been very good so far this year, completing 65% of his passes, nine touchdowns and two picks. Bryant's numbers uh, slightly off of that, but more or less the same, 67% completion two touchdowns, one interception so far this year. Another couple minutes with uh, Adam Terry, our IMG Sports Network analyst. Adam will join us on the call of the game Saturday. It's a noon start at uh, Clemson's Death Valley. And Adam, where are you? You know, I guess maybe the next most important thing here would be, we all know this would be a huge upset if Syracuse were to win this game. The mentality of the athlete that it takes to compete in a game like this. Anybody that was part of the last trip to Clemson, you know, that game was not competitive really right from the start. Eric Dungey played only a handful of plays. Do they remember that more or last year's win against them more? Well, I think the the coaching staff and what they're going to be preaching is, you know, probably the two years prior, hey, we went down there, we laid an egg. The guys are going to be rallying around. They're, they're beatable. You know, yes, they're a very good team. I mean, they're they're a very good team. You watch them on film, 
they've got a lot of guys that can do very good things. But, you know, you're just looking at little, little things. You know, my big matchup that I'm going to watch is, you know, Bear Williams on Justin Falsinelli, their, their center. If you've watched their, their games prior, you're going to have Mitch Hyatt, great offensive tackle. He's going to match up well on the outside. And, you know, your right guard and your right tackle might be able to slide to an Alton Robinson. But then you've got some one-on-one matchups. And can Slayton and Williams do a job on Simpson and Paulsonelli in the middle? That's going to be the, the big one because if you watch Texas A&M's defensive tackle, they wreaked havoc in the backfield, and it was because they were just one-on-one on the center. So that nose, that, that shade, somebody that's going to be on the snap hand of the center – is going to be very, very critical because now I've, now I've, I've secured the outside. I should feel good about that as a Clemson offensive lineman and their O-line coach, Robbie Caldwell. But now if somebody's running right down the pipe and somebody's in my face all the time, now let's see how those balls can get lofted up in the, in the back end to a Fredericks or a Cisco um, because they're going to have their handfuls, handful with, with the wide receivers that they have. So really interested to see that and then – you know, this is one of the this is one of the weeks where you know Coach Cavanaugh and that old line are going to make their money um, if they're able to block these front four. They're all first round draft picks. Uh, they'll probably all be within the top two to three All Americans this year. So it's going to be a very interesting game. Those those are the guys that you put them up on film, and you know you might have to bring seven offensive linemen in to, to block them all in time, but. Um, to look at going into this week, they're—I didn't think they were beatable last year. You know, this week you go into and you have the confidence from last year of going in and being able to to compete. And then you know, everybody on defense should be licking their chops in in regards to this quarterback change. It 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 creates upheaval in the locker room on their end. Um, you know, these are the things that Syracuse can control their controllables. Well, Dabo Sweeney and staff went in and just created some upheaval to to that locker room. So, you know, you're four and zero. You've got a lot of momentum from from Syracuse, and I'm looking forward to it, man. This yeah, is going to be too. it should right. be it should be a game that has some vulnerability for for Clemson when the first four games prior they really weren't showing anything. Yeah, and you know that this will be. Arguably, well, Clemson did play at uh, Texas A&M, so you can't say this will be their biggest challenge, but it might be their second biggest challenge. They do have a conference win against uh, Georgia Tech from this past weekend. So, jacked up, looking forward to it. This is a great atmosphere, and uh, looking forward to uh, being there on your first time at uh, Death Valley and uh, Memorial Stadium. Adam, so we appreciate the time today, and uh, best of luck listening to your one-hit wonders the rest of the day. All right. Pleasure, guys. See you soon. All right. See you, Adam Terry. We'll be uh, on the plane on Friday and on the air Saturday from Clemson. You, you know got to pump one? it up. You, do you hear the music louder yeah. than I do? Because it doesn't seem very loud. You know this is? Ugly Kid Joe. Yeah, I'm not going to Hate go everything about you and Cats in the Cradle where they're... Don't know this? No. Who would listen to this? 90s huge hits. We'll get to the. I think I know the punchline when it gets to the hook, as they say. Fitting. It could be our secondary theme song. (laughs) 
Back with more Drack after this. Interesting. I doubt it. No, wait. The other thing. Tedious. But we will do this segment anyway. Don't care anymore. Don't care no more. So a picture surfaced yesterday of Rick Pitino and Jim Beheim eating lunch together at the Varsity. Shocking. Yes. And today he tweeted out a picture of him speaking to the basketball team. And in the tweet he said... Great attitude and deepest Q's team in years. They will be more explosive offensively. It won't be in the hands of the selection committee this year. This is a legit top 25 team. I think those are all uh, pretty commonly held opinions about this year's team. Yeah, there was a little buzz with uh, Rick Pitino in town. These coaches that no longer have teams to coach that aren't absorbing their time 24-7. They get out and can roam around and see their friends. He was also at Cincinnati practice. Mick Cronin is a... Uh, protege of his and uh, makes all the sense in the world. He and Coach Beheim are friends. Rick Pitino's got some time on his hands. So uh, I tried to start the rumor that he was replacing Eric Devendorf as his yeah, assistant strength That's coach. <laughs> nice. Fit right in. Five yeah. foot five, 110 pound assistant strength coach, Rick Pitino. It's <laughs> yeah. 70. He's in good shape, though. He used to insist that his coaches be in shape, too. He's. Yeah. Believe strongly that it has to do with it, as I would agree, but easy for me to say, you know, enhances the impression you make and keeping up with the younger kids and getting out on the recruiting trail. And that was a big deal for him. And so he looks like uh, he's still in really good shape. So, so some le- celebrity and uh, rapper news because I know you guys are huge rapper fans, mm-hmm. rap fans. Rock him. Uh, I like things that come in rappers. Okay. Uh, well, this is the music rap. Uh, 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 Little Zen. Who uh, went to the hospital? Was there yesterday. a big Zan? <laughs> no big Zan. No. Uh, went to the hospital for eating too many flaming hot Cheetos. Said that it ripped something in my stomach open. Love to know how many bags of flaming hot Cheetos you'd have to eat before it creates a stomach issue. But you kind of know that going in, don't you? That you're, yeah, you're you probably shouldn't a eat. A, you shouldn't eat a lot of anything, but flaming right. hot anything should. Right. Are you guys flaming hot Cheetos fans? No. No? No. I'm not a Cheeto. Anything that dirties my fingers. Really? <laughs> yeah, I'm not. Doritos? I don't know that I've ever actually no. had flaming Hot Cheetos. I, I enjoy a regular Cheeto. No, don't do Cheetos. You get that orange dust on your but fingers. But that's a very popular, if you look at ballpark foods, like the fancy ballpark foods, somebody has a, they use the flaming Hot Cheetos and they, yep. you know, crust mac and cheese with it and, and some interesting things. It sounds a little hot and artificial for my taste. They're not bad. I, I bet they're fine if you know, but you got to know going in, you're you're risking some stomach uh, issues. Yeah, you should not Quiet, eat right? it. Quite right. To, uh, another two, another two hit wonder. Two hit wonder. Mental health, bang your head, and come on, feel the noise. This is come anthem. On. This rock, is a good right? one. Yeah. This is one I've heard before. Believe it or not. Maybe the first one. One maybe. Would Cheetos be a two-hit wonder of snacks, regular and flaming hot? And Doritos is going for the more of a portfolio there. Doritos has the regular and the ranch. cool ranch and the oh, cool ranch is as good as it gets. Nah, but you're in a cool ranch over nacho cheese guy. Yeah, because it's not orange. Really? I agree. Gross. I agree. Fake cheese is gross. Well, it's all fake. Let me tell you that right now. It's a little spoiler alert for you. All right, back to cap it. In fact, we can get into real food. Coach Beheim's restaurant list. I've been fortunate to uh, have checked off many of those on his Syracuse.com list today. This is in the booth. Just a couple of seconds left on the show today before we wrap it up was uh, 
I enjoyed reading the uh, little rundown from Coach Beheim on his restaurants. Uh, Coach is very generous to include us on the road on these uh, trips. We've been to many of those places. Ala Familia, the one up on the hill in Pittsburgh, extraordinary. All those Italian places are off the charts good. Miami, Salt Lake, Boston, Pittsburgh, all the ones that were listed there we've been to are tremendous. I'm usually at McDonald's. Some of the others weren't, you know, Smith & Walensky's and Ruth's Chris are all great restaurants. They're not super unique. You can go to those in multiple cities, but uh, good stuff. Good show, Polly. See you later.